Philippians chapter 4, but if you would turn there, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to continue this series of messages that we have, are focusing on Corona Victus. We have heard the term Corona Virus an infinite number of times, it seems, over these last couple of months. And we continue to pray for those who have suffered so much, and especially those who have lost loved ones. But we also want to pray against the virus of fear. And this morning, we want to recognize that God truly does give us the victory, the victory over the virus of fear and so turn your Bibles, if you would, there to Philippians chapter 4, as we're going to continue uh, this series this morning. Now, many years ago, uh, my wife and I, uh, when Ruth was just very little, had an opportunity to uh, take a few vacation days. And we went back to uh, the city where uh, we used to minister before in youth ministry up in Ohio. And we enjoyed some time with our friends there. But I was also invited to participate in a basketball game. It was going to be a game uh, uh, between the varsity of the Christian school that was there at the church at that time and those who were on faculty and those who were staff members, and I was invited uh, to participate, and so I joined right in. And it was quite a game, back and forth, and I remember a very big moment when I was able to steal a pass, and I dribbled up the court, and I was going in just for an easy layup. Well, it would have been easy, except the person that I stole the ball from thought he could block my shot. And rather than blocking my shot, which I wish he had done now, he undercut my legs when I jumped in the air. And I literally turned a somersault in the air and came down on my left arm. And it was incredibly painful. I knew something was wrong, tried to stay in the game, could not, had to come out. And it continued to hurt worse and worse. So ended up with a trip to the emergency room where it was x-rayed. And the doctor told me that I had uh, fractured my elbow said that there wasn't much a cast could do for it. He was just going to immobilize it in a sling. But when I got back to Knoxville, that I needed uh, to uh, get an appointment for physical therapy. So I called my doctor when I got here, and he uh, made plans for me to get physical therapy, uh, which was located in the Baptist Hospital. The old Baptist Hospital no longer stands now. And so I made my way over there, and I found out, to my dismay, that the physical therapy department was located in the basement of the Baptist Hospital. Not just the basement, but the sub-basement, uh, a.k.a. torture chamber. There were all kinds of instruments of torture down there, <laughs> and I was not looking forward to what was ahead. But my fears were alleviated a little bit when a very tiny, very kind, very cheerful woman introduced herself as the physical therapist and that she was going to help me. And she said, now, Mr. Polson, we are going to restore you to a full range of motion with that arm. You know, Mr. Polson, motion is lotion. Well, I want to tell you, it did not feel like 
lotion. <laughs> but I did experience a full range of emotions. I will assure you that. And she continued to work on my arm. She said, today we're going for 15 or 20 degrees of movement, Mr. Polson. And it felt like 115 to 120 degrees to me with the perspiration uh, beating out on my forehead. It was so, so painful. And I think I accused her of being a physical terrorist, not being a physical therapist. But you know, as I look back on that today, I am so grateful because now for over 25 years, I've had full range of motion in my arm. I've not been inhibited at all. It's not restricted. It's not immobilized. I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, I want you to understand, friends, that physical therapy can help us in that way. Keep us from being immobilized. Keep us from being restricted in our movement. And likewise, sometimes the great physician prescribes some spiritual therapy to help us to understand his peace, his presence, so that we are not immobilized by fear. We're not restricted. The Lord lets us know his presence so that we might be able to overcome the virus of fear. Now, he is a great physician. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord who heals. That's what that means, Jehovah Rapha. And he heals us. When we follow his prescribed therapy of the virus of fear. And so this morning as you look with me at the book of Philippians. I want you to notice that he gives us a therapy for peace. A therapy for peace. Last week we considered his vaccine for fear. But he even goes beyond that. Giving us Therapy for peace. Our Lord is a Prince of Peace. And He wants peace to reign in our hearts. And so let's look at this therapy session. Which the Lord gives us. It's outlined here in the book of Philippians. That as we will implement it. It is therapy for peace in the midst of whatever situations we find ourselves in life. Now, the first thing you'll notice is that there is a promised reality for peace. There is a promised reality for peace. You know, peace was the parting gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. Jesus told them the night before his crucifixion. He said in John chapter 14, verse 27, where it's recorded, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. Now note that. He says, my peace, not your peace. It's my peace. And notice, he says, I give it to you. It's not something that you earn. It's not something you achieve. It is a gift. Friends, peace is a grace gift 
from the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, as he promised peace for us, at the same time, he was not guilty of partial disclosure. He certainly was not guilty of false advertising because Jesus told us something else about peace. That same passage in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you that in this world you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Notice that. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now my friends, our trials through which we go at times, they may be unprecedented. That means there may be nothing that we can compare them to that we've ever experienced before. They're unprecedented. But our trials should never be unexpected. They may be unprecedented, but they should never be unexpected because Jesus predicted for us that we would have trials. And Peter, who was there that night and heard Jesus share those words, he also said that we should not be surprised by trials. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. To you, As followers of Christ, as his people, we should not consider it a strange thing when we go through trials. And now, look at Paul. Listen to Paul. As he speaks to the Philippians, he's writing this letter to them, thanking them for their support. And he is writing as a veteran of trials. And where is he when he writes this letter? Do you know where Paul is when he writes this letter? He is a prisoner in Rome. He's in jail again. <laughs> he spent a lot of time in jail. As a matter of fact, he's writing to the believers at Philippi. And it was really out of the jailhouse in Philippi that the church got its great beginning. Here he is again in jail. But what is his attitude? His attitude is this. He has what I like to call jailhouse joy. Look at chapter 2 of Philippians, would you please? Chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad... And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Isn't that wonderful? The authorities could imprison Paul. They could imprison Paul, but they could not imprison his spirit. He was a free man 
even though he was in prison because his spirit was free. It was free because it was full of joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is Paul saying to these people? What's he saying to them? He's saying to those who are experiencing trials, he's saying something to those who are being mistreated. These Philippians are being mistreated because of their faith. They're going through trials. Their freedoms are being infringed. Their freedoms are being infringed under the governmental authorities. And what was Paul's message to them? Did he say, you're being robbed. You're being robbed of your civil liberties. Is that what Paul said? No. He says, you are being gifted with a sacred identity. In your trials... Don't consider yourself being robbed of your civil liberties. Consider yourself being gifted with a sacred identity. What is that sacred identity? Look at chapter 1, verse 29. Chapter 1, verse 29 of Philippians. Here's what Paul says. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's saying it's a gift. With your gift of salvation has come another gift. And that is the gift of suffering. Suffering for the sake of Christ. It is through suffering and following the Lord through that suffering that we have an identity. We identify ourselves with Christ. And Paul says we should rejoice in that. Paul had been in prison for over two years when he wrote these things. He had been unjustly arrested He had been put in prison in Judea. Now he is in prison in Rome. And he does not say, pity me. He says, rejoice with me. Paul is in prison, but he is at peace. He is experiencing the promised reality of the Lord Jesus. The promised reality is you will have trials But my gift that I leave with you is peace. I promise you this reality. My peace will be with you. And now Paul, who's experiencing this peace, he wants the Philippians to share in this peace. He wants all believers to share in this peace. And that's the reason the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter was so in part that believers in their trials through the ages might share in the promised reality of peace in their hearts. And in chapter 4, turn there if you would, Paul says now, in effect, he is saying, let me show you how. Let me show you, tell you how you can experience this promised reality of peace. And that's where Paul shares a personal regimen for peace. 
He gives a personal regimen because we are not neutral in this process of peace. We are not just waiting and the Lord gives us peace. No, we enter into a process agreeing with the Lord which produces his peace. Paul makes a promise. What is his promise? Look down at the end of the passage that Don read just a few minutes ago. Look at verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice, the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. Then look at verse 9. He says at the very end of verse 9, The God of peace will be with you. Notice that. What is the outcome of this regimen for peace? The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And where does that come from? It comes from the God of peace who is with us. You see, my friend, peace is just the manifested presence of the God of peace in our lives. Now that is the outcome. That is what Paul wants us to experience. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to experience. And now, if we will back up, we can see the regimen that led to that outcome. What is it that leads to the peace of God guarding your heart and mind and the God of peace being with you? What is the regimen that leads to experiencing that reality? Well, notice, the regimen is based on three things that Paul mentions. It's based on our attitudes, it's based on our attention, and it's based on our action. Our attitudes, our attention, and our Actions. Now this morning I want us to begin with the attitudes. Let's focus for a few moments on the attitudes. And we'll be here for most of the time that we have remaining. Attitude is so important. It's been well said that your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. And so Paul talks about the attitude that we need to have as believers. And he says we need to determine to be this. To be this kind of person in our attitude. And so Paul shares what I like to call his be attitudes. There's six of them here. The Apostle Paul's be attitudes that lead to peace. Now what are they? Number one. He says, be united. Be united. Now what is so significant here is that as Paul shares this timeless therapy for peace, he also shares a very timely personal message to two members of the congregation at the church of Philippi. Two ladies who are having a difficult time getting along Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. And look, if you would, at verse 2. Paul speaks to them personally. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, honestly, 
Can you imagine being one of those two ladies when the letter of Philippians was first read in the church of Philippi? My goodness, what a moment. But why did Paul mention this personal situation between these two ladies? Why, was, why did the Holy Spirit prompt him to be so personal in this letter? It's because there's a lesson here for all the church. There's a lesson here for all the church, for all the ages, for all Christians, for all time. What is the lesson? Listen carefully. The lesson is we cannot experience peace within us if there is not peace between us. We will never experience peace within us if there is not peace between us. You see, peace is based not on an acknowledgement of who is right or wrong, but on acknowledging who unites us. You see, we can focus on our disagreements about many things. Even in this time of trial through which we are going, globally and nationally, we can focus on our disagreements or we can choose to focus on the one who unites us. And be of one mind. How? Look at verse 2. In the Lord. In the Lord. Be of one mind in the Lord. Peace requires peacemaking in the Lord. And it also requires peacemakers. Look at verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, true companion. True companion there can refer to a person's name or it may be some undisclosed uh, person. We're not sure. But he speaks to someone who is a friend of Euodia and Syntyche. Help these women. Help them who have labored side by side with me. These are wonderful women of God. They've served with Paul. They have served with Clement and the rest of Paul's fellows workers and their names are in the book of life. These are born again ladies who need someone to come alongside and help make peace. They need a peacemaker. And my friend, when you determine that you want to be a peacemaker between others, you know what you're going to do? You're going to bring peace into your own heart. Why? Because Jesus said what? Blessed are the peacemakers. Part of being blessed is joy and peace in our own hearts. And when we desire not to take sides in an argument, but we desire to unite people in the Lord, we're going to experience the benefits of that peace ourselves. Blessed are the peacemakers. What are the Beatitudes? That lead to peace. Number one, be peaceful. Number two, be joyful. Be joyful. Look at verse four, if you would. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, notice this. We are commanded to be joyful. This is a word of a command, an exhortation. We are commanded to be joyful. As a matter of fact, twice. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Again, I tell you this. Rejoice, Paul says. Why are we commanded to rejoice in the Lord? Why? First of all, joy, rejoicing, exalts Christ. It exalts Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Jesus is our joy. And when we choose to rejoice, we are exalting Christ. And also, we're challenged to rejoice in the Lord, not just because it exalts Christ, but it also edifies ourselves. We edify ourselves when we choose to rejoice. This is a decision. This is a determination. This is not an emotion that is prompted from the circumstances without This is not happiness that's determined by our happenings. This is joy, which is a product of Jesus in our lives. And so he says, exalt Christ in your trials. Make a decision to rejoice in the Lord, and you will exalt him, and you will edify yourself. (laughs) The Beatitudes. Number one, be peaceful. Number two, be joyful. Here is the third B attitude. Be gentle. Be gentle. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now the word here, very unusual word, is a pay case. It's almost untranslatable, really, in English. There's so many subtleties to it. You could refer to it as forbearance or yieldedness, a generosity of spirit, kindliness, mildness. But perhaps best would be this way to define it. Sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. There's a sweetness to this word. So... Let's translate it that way. Verse 5. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to all people. To everyone. Be kindly dispositioned. That's what it means. Be a person who leans toward kindness. A disposition of kindness. Toward others. Now I want to tell you, this attitude of a kindness toward others, a kind disposition toward others, it is a gift that is hard to give away. You know why it's hard to give kindness and sweet reasonableness away to other people? Because they have a tendency to give it back to you. They have a tendency to give it back to you. There's a great theological truth that I hope you have grasped in your journey with the Lord. It's a great theological truth. Here it is. People generally treat us the way we treat them. In general. And so when we practice sweet reasonableness, a kindness of disposition toward others, this virtue is its own reward. It's its own reward. Because when we scatter kindness, when we scatter this sweet reasonableness, we are planting it in our own heart. 
And we experience the harvest of joy, you see. It's a gift that we give to others, but in reality, it's given back to us and bears fruit in our own hearts. These are wonderful be attitudes. Be united. Be joyful. Be gentle. Notice the fourth one. Be expectant. Be expectant. You see this in verse 5 as well. Look at verse 5 again. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, this can mean the Lord is at hand, or it can also be translated, the Lord is near. There's a difference of opinion among Bible scholars about which is emphasized here. Either the Lord is coming, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. The Lord is present, the Lord is here. But the truth is both. (laughs) Both elements are in this. The Lord is near. The idea here is to be reminded the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. No matter how difficult your day may be, my friend, let me tell you something as a Christian. It's one day closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus or you going to be with him. One day closer. And what a reason for joy that is. To know that the Lord Jesus is coming again. My friend, did you know that one out of every four verses in the New Testament reference the second coming of Jesus Christ? 25% of the verses in the New Testament have some connection with the return of the Lord. It is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. To have this expectancy that Christ is coming. It is our blessed hope. And it brings joy. The Lord is coming and the Lord is near. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. He is present. He is right here. Friends, we are not alone. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. And in the midst of social distancing, you are not alone. The Lord is near. Rejoice in that. Look at the next beatitude. He says, because the Lord is near, be prayerful. Be ye prayerful. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. I remember my dad had on the front of one of his cars, several of his cars, as a matter of fact, a sign that said on the license plate, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And I can see him pulling up in front of the house Or coming down the road, and there was that front license plate saying, prayer changes things. And my friend, prayer does change things, right? Many things. And I'll tell you one thing that prayer changes. According to the Apostle Paul here, prayer changes worry into trust. Prayer changes worry into trust. Don't 
worry, don't be anxious about anything. And that, that don't is the idea of stop. Stop being anxious about anything and start praying about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. You see, my friend, what happens is that worry robs us of life itself. Why is it so terrible to live a life that's full of worry and and anxiety? Because it's robbing you of your days. Someone as well said that today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. We so often do that. Worry is toxic. Worry is poisonous. And there's one antidote to worry. And that is prayer. Prayer. Prayer and supplication. What is supplication? That means a specific request. There's general prayer. But then we take specific situations to the Lord. We, we name that situation. We name that issue. We name a specific person. We name a particular trial. We don't just say in everything and bless everyone and bless all this. We specifically ask the Lord for His help in specific situation. But remember as you do this, as you pray... And as you pour out your heart with supplication, remember what Paul says. Don't forget to what? Give thanks. Give thanks. Yes, give your problems to God, my friend. Prayer overcomes worry. Give your problems to God. Take your problems to God. But as you're taking your problems to God, also take your praise to God. Take your praise to Him. And exalt Him for who He is and what He's done for you and what is ahead for you in Him. Take your praise to God, not just your problems, and you will find that that will lead you to peace. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything, but in everything, give thanks. We can give thanks even for things that are not, that are not pleasant. I remember the story of the great Bible commentator and teacher. He was a pastor in Philadelphia, Albert Barnes. Albert Barnes. He lived over 200 years ago. One day he was robbed on the streets of Philadelphia. That that night he was reading a scripture. He read this verse, In everything give thanks. And he wondered, how can I give thanks about being robbed? And here's what he wrote in his journal. He wrote, Lord, I was robbed. Thank you that though he took all, he did not take much. Thank you that although he took my money, he did not take my life. And Lord, I thank you that it was I who was robbed and not the one who was robbing. I thank you, Lord. In everything, give thanks. Be attitudes. Be united, be joyful, be gentle, be expectant, be prayerful. And here's number six, be peaceful, be peaceful. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. 
With supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friend, we're talking about a peace that cannot be explained. It's the peace that surpasses understanding. It is a peace that cannot be explained, but thank God it is a peace that can be experienced. And my friend, you can experience that peace today through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, have you made your peace with God? Are you at peace with God because God has made peace with you through Jesus Christ? You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you repent and put your faith in Christ, you are now made right. And the peace of God is given to you. You now have peace with God, which leads to the peace of God. Oh, friend, I pray that you have that peace in your heart today. Peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may God help you today as you follow this regiment, and in particularly these Beatitudes, that you will experience the outcome. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And I'm praying now that as we come to these closing moments, as we worship, I'm praying right now for people that they will not get distracted in these moments and start about other activities. Lord, right now, this is a sacred moment. I pray that you will draw us to your presence for the response Lord, we were not here today by accident. People were not listening. No one by accident, but by appointment. And you, the great physician, have a goal for this appointment today. And that is peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I pray and ask that you will accomplish that purpose today in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name.